La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou-glou-glou font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding-ding-dong. Mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum. Et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille. My rugby friends, and welcome to a new edition of French Rugby Connection podcast with moi, Véronique Glandieu, and with moi, Tom Dixon. And this time, Tom, you are just down the road. I mean, I believe you are on a business trip somewhere in Southwest well, London. The, the, the romantic thing would be to say that I'm quite near to HQ at Twickenham, closer to Twickenham than I've been for a while, but I'm in a very depressing conference hotel in Heathrow Airport next to the South Runway. And so if you hear any Airbus going taking off, it's for that reason. But always a pleasure to be here. What a week, Veronique. How are you? Yes, yes, I'm good. But, you know, because you haven't been back to London for quite a while. So is there something that you are really enjoying now? Something that you really missed that when you were in <laughs> France, such as, I don't know, maybe you missed some Marmite or some bacon butty or something else, something very English. Tell me more. Absolutely. The bacon is being consumed in the morning. So I'll go back in a larger seat than I came out in. But I had a pint of beer and a burger in a Windsor pub last night. And I was so happy, A, to escape from the prison that is this conference hotel, and B, to be riverside in Windsor in a proper pub, having a pint of Guinness and then a pint of London Pride, because I was allowed to. And the burger, it's lovely coming back. And do you know what I'm doing on Sunday, Veronique? I guess you're going to watch some uh, top 14 rugby? No, no, because I'm in England. I'm going to Twickenham Stoop to watch what's probably my favourite English team, the Quins, who I believe are playing Exeter. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Okay, I don't think you can do that podcast because I'm a Saracens fan, as you know. So, mm. <laughs> but on that occasion, okay, I'll, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. Because at the end of the day, you do support une team, a team, une team, <laughs> une équipe en rouge et noir, a red and black team. So, yeah, Toulousain, woohoo, they are really, they are rocking. They are really they, riding the wave. They are number one. They are up and cooking with gas. They remain number one. They are on top of the tree. They've won five from six. But, Bernie, this time last year, at this stage, number one in the top 14 was Toulouse. And Toulouse didn't get past the semi-finals. So, um, it, it, nothing is guaranteed in this life. And this season is going to be particularly hard. Because we're going to be giving so many people, so many of our best players to Les Bleus, sending them up to the Marcus's training camp, yes. zooming off around France in the Autumn Internationals, although they're coming back to Toulouse to play Japan in November, so we have an international in Toulouse, which is surprisingly rare, but always welcome. But now, as I said before, it is quite possible, now that Toulouse has so many French players, that we will be providing 15-plus players to the squad. Are you sure? So, so. It's been 11 or 12 before, and now you know, they've taken both our hookers for many years. Jaminet and Tamara Ramos will certainly be going. It's, it's an extraordinary time. It's, it's an extraordinary team, but we've been here before, and it's not always good. 
Well, we'll see. I mean, so far as nothing bad happens to Dupont and Tamak, you know, that's what matters to me. We don't, we don't want them to get injured, you know. But you'll have to tell me next week, you know, which ones have been selected. Because obviously, let's not forget, first they will be selected to, a, to the training ground in Marcoussi. And then Fabien Gatier and his, uh, his staff, you know, would be deciding, would be in the squad. Absolutely. I'll be glued to my radio set, as us old people say. The mighty Claremont came to Toulouse. They, they sent a pretty strong team and they played really well. I really enjoyed that. The scoreline tells the story. You can't get away from the fact that it's 46-10. So Toulouse absolutely stamped on Claremont. And it, it's, it's a bit of a surprise because the Claremont attack came up against the wall of Toulouse's defence, but they adapted their game fairly quickly and they started trying some more adventurous things. So it was quite fun to watch and they did score a try, somewhat contentious, in that the referee basically said, yes, I know he had lost control of the ball forward, but the try still stood. And quite rightly so when you go through the rules afterwards and look at it because the ball never lost contact with his body. So weirdly, that's the rule and it was correctly applied. Oh. Much to the discomfort of our fans. But you know me, I'm never one to criticise the referee, so I'm happy to shout out and say you got that one right. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, uh, yeah, we won't comment on that, no. Referee, they've got a tough job, and ha- where sometimes we can be happy, sometimes we disagree, but hey, c'est, c'est la vie. But I think the good thing with the Toulouse team, you know, is they've had, especially like the internationals, they've had a very long summer between bracket yeah long summer to to recoup their strength to re, to have a break i think I, I saw some pictures of monsieur dupont antoine dupont in crete in crete somewhere so fortunately i mean they didn't do that that summer tour and so i think they are raring to go but yes it's going to be a very very long road ahead i think we are yeah we got another 21 weekends of them playing rugby but hey you know that's their job at the end of the day <laughs> But where Toulouse really come to the fore is the players being asked to change positions and shine in different positions. And we have got Roman Natamak off sick, not seriously, but it is his off the field. And so we had Thomas Ramos, who we know is a wonderful thing, alongside Antoine Dupont as fly half. He was outstanding. He would make the French team as fly half on the basis of what we saw on Saturday. He scored 26 points. He was majestic. And Melvin Jamnay at the back was also extremely good. Um, those two together were fab. Yeah, absolutely. Tomas Ramos, you know, I wouldn't say coming from the dead, but, you know, he did play you know, for the French team. Absolutely outstanding, phenomenal player, you know. So he's a, a strong contender as well to be part of, of Les Bleus. So we'll see. But yeah, was very pleased to, to see him playing so so well. But guess what? All the seven matches were won by the home team. So I think it, we we can really say we can really mention that the supporters are very much playing at the 16 men, you know, in terms of encouraging the players. So Stade Français against Perpignan was even better score than Toulon because they they really annihilated, you know, uh, Perpignan. The score was 52-13. I mean, they scored eight tries. Which is amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, Perpignan, it wasn't, it wasn't the day. It was a bit slightly embarrassing. But obviously what happened is that they, they got a red card at the 22nd minute. So they were playing with 14 for most of the game. So well done for Les Soldats Roses, the pink soldiers, they call it. But loads of, you probably read that in the press, lots of, lots of bad blood between brackets happening in, in, in Stade Francais because Gonzalo Quesada, who is the uh, current coach, you know, has been told basically that is, he will say au revoir to Stade Francais at the end of next season and will be replaced by, it's not really official, they haven't signed the contract yet, but will be replaced by Laurent Labitte and Karim Gezal. I, I heard that. I'm happy to refer to referees decisions being right or wrong, thinking this is not soccer. But the method of departure of Gonzalo Caseda was very soccer-like. He learnt of his departure through the national press, rather than being told personally. And he is also expected and willing to coach for the rest of the season. And he has turned around and said, I will carry on coaching, I will do it for the boys. But nonetheless, part of his job is to look after what happens on the transfer market and building the team. So he's been treated very badly, and I hope the rest of the top 14 and Pro Dada are looking at the dignity with which he is conducting himself and giving him points for that. Yes, um, but I'm afraid sometimes rugby is a kind of a dog-eat-dog. Dog. It's uh, happened before in the past with Les Bleus. But I agree, the manner in which he hurt was a bit maybe clumsy. Who knows? Probably some people found out and, you know, they started speaking to another person and so on. You know, this is how... Uh, uh, rumors start and then it was mentioned in, in the press but but uh, I mean good good for him but he's staying and basically the team won and who knows maybe the fact of his departure news you know have maybe galvanized his players because they were not playing too too well so well done to that Francais but yeah I agree with you in soccer in football <laughs> don't call it soccer it's not the word yeah not American it's not an American program in football yes I mean the way you know coaches are being you know fired they are earning probably five times more than what a coach would be would be earning in rugby so we're talking deeper different uh, different kettle different kettle of fish that's correct. That's okay. exactly the case. There's also the case that it appears as though the Stade Francais management believes that with a checkbook you can achieve success in rugby. And I think we all react against that, that there's so much more that you have to build up the, the values of the team and the spirit of the team. And through judicious choice of old and, old and young, you get to build a winning team irrespective of the size of the checkbook. But maybe I'm being a bit too romantic there. Maybe I like, hear, oh, I hear. Yes. No, no, go on, you finish. No, I think certainly there were missteps that did smell a bit of I shall buy success, which I'm glad it is looking less likely. But I hear what you are saying, you know, in terms of, you know, billionaires, businessmen, you know, such as Lorenzetti and and Peter Hans Peter Wild, you know, who are billionaires buying rugby clubs for the glory and so on. So, yes, it's not instantaneous, as you know, Trad knows. It took him, it took him a long time to win the top fourteen. So I think the most importantly is to build a culture for the players who have a sense of values and 
And maybe I have to say I'm a bit cynical, but sometimes players have it really good as well. You know, they live a life of luxury, high salary, salary that to see would be earning, you know, 500,000, 750,000, you know, sometimes 1 million. So... Obviously, you know, you need a, a big pocket, you know, to attract talent, but you also need to have that, that commitment from the players, that sense of achievement. And Stade Francais went through some difficult phase five years ago before it was bought by Hans Peter Bildt, you know. So they're, they're, yeah, they're starting from scratch to a certain extent. But yes, yeah, success doesn't come easy as many, many owners, <laughs> many owners say. And I remember, I think it was the owner of uh, Saracen. What is his name? I should know his name. The former owner. Oh, Never ask me for a name. Yeah, no, you you got it. Nine Nine when he said, I think he said, you don't own a rugby club for money. I mean, you won't make any money <laughs> from owning I, a club, but you get the glory, I, you know, like Saracen did. You know, I, the, I think the standard gag, Veronique, is how do you make a small fortune out of rugby? You start with a big fortune. Exactly. And <laughs> well, it's a rich man's game. That's all I can say. Exactly. It's a, bit, it's a bit like football. But having said that, that's why I know it's very healthy, very rewarding to see some team with smaller budget doing really well, you know, such as Castres, for instance, last year. Let's talk about Castres. You know, they, they lost against Montpellier last year during the final in the top 40, which was a bit surprising because we thought, yeah, Castres is going to do it. But they were completely overpowered by Montpellier. But this time round, this weekend, it was a case of la revanche est un plat qui se mange froid. What did I just say? You said revenge is a dish that is best eaten cold. Exactly. So they, so. Took, they took their revenge in the... Um, by beating Montpellier to them. They started really, really well because they were leading by 10 points. After five minutes, there was a beautiful try from Wilfried at the 20th minutes. And half time, actually, the score was 17 to 3. No, sorry, six minutes before half time. And then just before half time, Corbus, Corbus Reinhardt scored a try. So the score half time was 70 to 10. Um, but then, you know, um, Urda Pelita, the Argentinian, really. Wonderful uh, player. Yes, yeah, he kicks his magic and he scored three kicks. And the overall score was 26 to 13. So not so good of for course, me. Yeah, go on. But of course, you're missing something very important in the Castro Montpellier history. Because okay. you're right, Castro won, won last weekend against Montpellier. And in the final last year, Montpellier beat Castro. Yes. But you mustn't, there is a very important outside element to take into account of who they played the week before. Both matches, last last year in the semi-finals, Castle beat the mighty Stade Toulousain. And last weekend, Montpellier played the mighty Stade Toulousain. So a week after playing Toulouse, you lose. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> oh, good one. Nice one. <laughs> yes, I got that one in there. Yeah, definitely. But okay, so I forgot now what I wanted to say. Oh, yes. Guess what? Cast cast hasn't been unbeaten, you know, for a very long time. Do you know how many times they won? No, tell me. This is their home home without losing. Correct, correct. 24 times. Well, actually, it was 26. They had had 23 wins and one nil. So, 
yeah, something good is happening there. Definitely. Um, Which other games did you watch? Tell, tell you about Toulon versus Breve and Lyon against Bordeaux. Okay. We might have overlooked something you briefly went over, the fact that there were seven home victories yes. in the top 14 this weekend. Seven matches, all of them won at home. And some of them, like Bayonne winning, was rather unexpected. If only we could have predicted such an outcome, Veronique. Yes. Oh, oh, we did. Oh, I did. Last week on the podcast, uh-huh. I believe I predicted seven home wins. You did? Would, oh, well. Would you like me to rewind and check? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. The notes are good. But yeah, that game, Bayonne versus La Rochelle, I think the supporters in at Bayonne, in the Stade d'Auger, au Stade Jean d'Auger, sorry, were absolutely phenomenal, you know. There's such a, like you were saying, such an atmosphere, so much passion, and the players are really... Geed up by the crowd singing La Pena Bayonne. I've said it before, it's one of the most moving rugby moments you can have, one of the most characterful stadiums, and the mascot is funny, the songs are brilliant, and everyone joins in. And the players respond to it magnificently. And for Bayonne, newly promoted to be La Rochelle champions of Europe, who had come to play rugby, it was a serious team. Standing, I wish I'd have been there. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But let's not forget, you know, they are gaining from the wisdom and from the experience and the skills and the knowledge of Maxime Machonneau, who you played for many, many years. For the star. Yes, and Camille Lopez as well. And it was a, f- a full stadium as well, sold out, 14,000 people. So you can imagine the atmosphere. The Stade Bayonne, uh, the, the club means so much for, for the town. You know, and it's the same for other towns like Brive and, and Pau as well. There's a big fervor as well. From... Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Brive. I watched Toulon versus Brive. And what a difference. Yeah. 47-0. It was an absolute masterclass in how to play rugby. I think, you know, we, we have to feel sorry for Brive. I really like Brive. I think I, I mentioned that a few weeks ago. I think they got 14 of the players who are injured right now. So they had their, their junior team. But having said that, it was an experience for them. But yes, I'm but sure, it, I'm it sure. happens. It's a lesson in how the top 14 works. Exactly. You do have lots of people on international duty and... In, in the sanatorium, we possibly say in English, the, the infirmary is the French word. Yes, that, that was a problem for Brief. But yes. Toulon had woken up. Their season really started in minute three when Cheslin Colby came back and he had given them such confidence. He uh, he scored and he, he touched down in the third minute. And it wasn't just him playing wonderfully. The confidence he was giving the rest of the team. There were seven tries they scored yeah. pretty much throughout the match. Reeve just didn't have a hot period. Mm. So, yes, we, we like supporting the underdog on this podcast, but Reeve were nowhere near. So hats off to Toulon, and I hope Reeve can lick their wounds and get up and play again properly next week. Yes, Racing against Po, the overall score was 26-13. Not much to say about that game. It was a bit uh, comsic. It was, uh, the, um, Gael Fico returned on the pitch, you know, after six weeks. So it was great to, to see him back. And uh, finally, you watch the highlight of of Lyon against Bordeaux. And again, what a surprise. I know you're always interested in how Christophe Urias, the Bordeaux manager, will react. 
But he was spanked, but not totally. In actual fact, it was a really close game right up until the last 15 minutes. The lead changed about six times. Lyon were always on top, but Bordeaux had well, 15 minutes or so. But it, it all came down to the last 15 minutes where Bordeaux had a couple of yellow cards and, and it was bang, bang, bang. They're out of the match. It was quite impressive. They were really clicking in the second half. It, not all the game. It wasn't. It wasn't a great game when they were close. They were all dropping balls forward and losing line outs and doing old things you shouldn't. But but as I said, it was close until the last fifteen minutes. And whether it's tiredness because of two yellow cards, a, a bit of being a man down, obviously, or just not expecting to win, Bordeaux are lacking confidence at the moment and. Heading all the way to Lyon, which is a long six-hour bus journey, likely to lose confidence along the way. So, yeah, these things do have lives of themselves, and victory begets victory, and defeat begets defeat. Bordeaux do have to pick themselves up. So, 36-21 was a good winter game, really. But let, let's carry on. So, Pro D2, we're going to be very quick. You know what? Van, my team, is stopping the Pro D2. I told you they will be back. <laughs> you did say they'll be back. Colombia also won. Yes. Pro D2 was very high scoring. All the games were 36 points or above. Many of them were yeah, 32. Well, let me run through. Mont- Montauban lost at home to Biarritz, 32-46. Look at the number of try scores in that. Agen won 43 at home to Aurillac. Provence Orionax was a draw. Bézier lost to Colomier at home, so Colomier showing good again. Carcassonne lost to Massey. That's the bottom of the, bottom of the table, about 17-20. But if you get the chance, there's a most skillful bit of football, as in soccer. That is very amusing to watch if you can see that on the socials. Mont de Marsa, 34, Angoulême, 26, Nevers, 27, Rouen, 17, and Van, 26, Grenoble, another strong team, 10. So Van won and won strongly. Wonderful. Lovely to speak with you all the way from from Heathrow. Actually, I am I am not at Heathrow. I'm in a leafy Surrey, not far from from Backshot. But one thing we forgot to mention is Les Bleus, the the Women's World Cup. You know, French started well and won against South Africa. But next week they are going to meet their nemesis, England. So I keep my finger crossed that they will. They will beat England because they've had such bad luck. Do you agree? The, the, the English and the French ladies had a predictable good start to their World Cup. The England ladies got a George Orwell score. Do you know what that is? No, tell me. The score was 1984. <laughs> good one. So on that note, it's been lovely speaking to you. Wish you all the best. Et, euh, au revoir, mes amis. Et au revoir, Tom. <laughs> au revoir. La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. 
Les oiseaux du lac pic-pac, pic-pic, glou-glou-glou, font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche ding-ding-dong, mais boum, quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, et c'est l'amour qui s'éveille.